there's no really example of either the regulation or how you'd establish them or where they'd get enough people to to have a purchasing uh, base. And um, so you might as well talk about unicorns. I mean, it, you know, what's a medical unicorn? Every My kids all know what a unicorn is, but you don't. You've never seen one. So I, I think this co-op is just a way of ducking the issue uh, of having a public plan. And welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Waltz. And I'm Caitlin Kenny. Today is Monday, September 28th. And you just heard Representative Pete Stark, Democrat from California and chair of the House Ways and Means Health Subcommittee, during a conference call with reporters. Today we are talking about unicorns. My kids all know what a unicorn is, but you don't. You've never seen one. <laughs> unicorns and health insurance. And starshine. No, no. We're being very serious today, just health insurance and unicorns. And also today, we're going to take a hardened, cynical, seen-it-all health reporter, and we are going to surprise him. But first, our Planet Money indicator, it's 3,000. 3,000 people, people who live in the great Pacific Northwest and who, every year, those people cast a vote for who they would like to run their insurance company. Yes, we're going to make sense of that number and that idea, voting for your insurance company directors. But first, we need a little review. Right. Okay. So last week, we did this show about the idea of a public option. So that's where the government sets up an insurance program to compete with private insurers. And and right now, there are basically two kinds of people. There are people who love this idea. They love the idea of a public option. And people who hate it. Right. But... There is. We are going to introduce today, there is another kind of person. Yes, a strange, late-to-the-party, unexpected guest who does not want to sit on the public option couch or the private insurance couch. They want to sit on the shag carpet next to the lava lamp in the middle of the room. <laughs> no. They, uh, that shag carpet that you're talking about, that is healthcare cooperatives. So healthcare cooperatives, they're kind of new to the whole scene. They are not a public option. They're not just leaving everything to private insurers. Uh, healthcare cooperatives are insurance companies that are owned by members, by patients, but they're privately run. And right now, there's a bill in the Senate Finance Committee that would set up these things in every state or every region. And the bill is mostly referred to as Senator Max Baucus's bill, but the co-ops part, the co-ops part is Senator Kent Conrad's baby. Here's Conrad talking earlier this summer on CNN about the benefits of cooperatives. The thing that co-ops address are really twofold. One, providing additional competition. Right. And number two, being an entity that is not government-run, government-controlled, but is a non-for-profit competitor. So, Caitlin, when Conrad started talking about cooperatives on national TV and specifically talking about the idea that cooperatives were going to bring costs down, my buddy Keith Seinfeld, he's a health reporter, generally very measured, very calm, soft-spoken guy. Well. I was totally surprised. Well, I, I can't remember where I first heard it. It was probably in, I probably saw it in an email, one of the emails I get, some list I subscribe to that talking about things that are being discussed in healthcare reform. And, you know, I probably didn't gasp, but I think I may have laughed out loud. <laughs> I may have choked on something if I was eating it. So Keith works at KPLU in Seattle, my 
personal favorite NPR member station. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> yes, KPLU has been very good to me. And Keith is one of those beat reporters. He's been covering health forever. He reported on the last time we tried to overhaul the system in the early 90s. And to him, the whole conversation sounds familiar. Should insurance be through your employer? Why is it so expensive? How do we cover the uninsured? Blah, blah, blah. But then all of a sudden, you know, here is Senator Conrad saying we need to create healthcare cooperatives. And to Keith, I mean, part of why that was so weird to Keith is because he knows healthcare cooperatives. There are only two existing in this country, and one is in Seattle, and it is his insurance company, Group Health Cooperative. So much of the discussion has been around controlling costs, and, and Group Health doesn't seem to me as as an organization that is controlling costs any more or less than anybody else. And And to hold that up as a model for all the benefits it may have, it just doesn't seem like something you would set up um, statewide to answer all the problems that you're trying to solve uh, in the healthcare debate. And, and to me, it's interesting because I still really am struggling to understand what what they mean. I mean, I know what a co-op is, um, and we had co-ops when I was in college. There were little co-ops on campus. You could live in a co-op, and it meant you made your own meals, and you cleaned your own rooms, and you all had... It was a, ba- a commune is really what it was. And I know what group health cooperative is, and but a statewide co-op that's chartered by the federal government, that just seems like using the word co-op uh, to talk about something else. And I don't know what that something else is. Just so I'm understanding this, Hannah, a cooperative like the one in Seattle, it's basically an insurance company that's owned by its members. And it's being presented as this new idea, but it's not really. Yeah, I mean, that's what's weird about it. It, co-ops are not really new to the U.S. So years and years back during World War II, the government set up healthcare cooperatives. They were insurance companies that were cooperatives, and and mostly they failed. There are only two left. There's the one in Seattle that Keith is a member of, and there's one in Minnesota. Okay, but what makes them different is that the patients get a say in how it's run. Keith and all the other members get to vote for their board of directors. In theory, I can vote. So. You don't Not vote. all. Well, I, I have never attempted to. I, I do remember getting the mailing sometime during the year that said that these elections were happening, and here are the people who are the candidates. And um, but in order to vote, first you have to say that you want to vote. I th- as a, I've never voted, and I've never gotten a ballot. You need to check a box at some point in time that says I want to become a voting member, and then you can go vote. Uh, the number of people who vote is fewer than one percent of all the members of group health. So really not a lot of involvement there. So Caitlin, that our indicator, the 3000 people who vote for who they want to run their insurance company, it is less than 1% of the total members of group health. There are 600,000 people who belong to this co-op and 3000 of them actually vote. So Keith isn't alone there. Right. But Hannah, the thing I don't get is that we already have nonprofit insurance companies and it sounds like the main difference is that with a cooperative, you get to vote for who runs it. But if these people aren't voting, what's the real difference? Right. They're, I mean, it, it sounds very similar. And Keith actually says that the people who end up on the board of Group Health, they are exactly the same people who would be on the board of a nonprofit insurance company. You know, they're just community leaders, the movers and shakers, same people. So there is this mystery. I mean, Keith has actually genuinely been struggling to understand 
What does it mean that we may have these cooperatives in every state? How would that change anything? So you asked your devoted, hardworking producer, that would be me, to track down someone who has studied co-ops. Yeah, and what did you bring me, Caitlin Bupkus? No, that's not true. Usually, I bring you lists and lists of names. But this time, I really tried, I really searched, and despite this being a major part of a huge piece of legislation, it's surprisingly hard to find someone who studied cooperatives. But in the end, as usual, I came through for you. Yes, you did. You, you could only find one guy, one man out there who seems to have some expertise in cooperatives. His name is Tim Jost. He's a professor at Washington and Lee University. So are you like the co-ops guy? You're the guy that everybody calls? Yeah, I think so, which I think tells you something about how much anybody knows about them. I mean, there's not a literature out there on healthcare cooperatives. They don't exist. So, Caitlin, Jost has basically spent the last few months trying to figure out, okay, if we did do this cooperatives thing on a big national scale, just how would it work? The two co-ops that we have are, are so old. So, so what would it take to set up 50 or some new ones? The first thing that you have to do if you want to establish a new insurance company, health insurance company, is to put together a provider network. You have to have a network of providers of physicians, hospitals, pharmacies, labs, that agree to contract with you and to provide you services at a discounted rate. So that's the first hurdle. And that's, that's I think, a big enough hurdle to pretty much throw them out of, of competition. The next thing they're going to have to do is to uh, uh, get all of the things done, all of the resources, all of the infrastructure together that you need to form a, a health insurance company. So they're going to have to do regulatory compliance. They're going to have to... Hannah, I'm just going to turn this down a little because he went on for a really <laughs> long time. Right. Apparently, there are a lot of hurdles to setting up a brand new insurance company. You know, a- after you get your network set up, if you get your network set up, then you have to deal with all the state rules and regulations. You have to figure out how to do claims processing and underwriting. Okay, and all okay, okay. Things. We get the point. <laughs> there are a billion boring things you have to do just to get set up. And it's expensive. Right now, the Senate finance bill has $6 billion set aside to start up these co-ops. Not that $6 billion is nothing, but keep in mind that Anthem bought WellPoint for $16 billion. That's just one insurance company buying another. Yeah, so if you can get the money and all that other stuff together, you still have one problem. You have to get people to sign up for your plan. And then they get to the third stage. They're going to have to sign up members. Now, there's a bit of a chicken and egg problem here because they're owned by their members. And so if you start out without any members, it's unclear how you do that if you're owned by your members. But in any event... So I'm thinking this is where we get to the unicorn. (laughs) Exactly. Introducing co-ops into a marketplace and assuming that they can compete with big consolidated insurers and bring costs down for all of us. Great idea. Maybe never happen. Doesn't sound very likely. Right. Well, at least there, there is no evidence. There's no research that it could happen. And the co-ops that we do have, the two surviving co-ops, they aren't really cheaper than the alternatives. Group Health Cooperative, Keith's insurance company, their premiums went up 13% for a lot of people last year. The idea is that if you have um, a dominant insurer in most markets, which seems to be the case, that introducing some kind of competition uh, from some kind of, of other insurer will bring down costs. And I think specifically the idea is that administrative costs ought to be lower for cooperatives. They're nonprofit. They don't have to make a profit. 
they might be able to avoid some of the other administrative costs of, uh, of for-profit health plans. And so um, they should, in theory, be able to offer a better deal, and that will create competition and would force the, the other insurers to lower their premium somewhat or lower the growth in their premium somewhat. I mean, the problem I have with that, though, is that I think even though they don't have to make a profit, I think in general, because they're smaller and because they don't have economies of scale, they're going to have higher administrative costs in many areas. And then uh, most importantly, as I said earlier, they're going to have to pay higher prices to providers uh, because they don't have the market share. Where I've seen cooperatives in operation, they don't really compete on price. They compete on quality. Uh, They compete on customer satisfaction. And that's good. Uh, We need more quality. We need um, insurance products that people are really happy with. Uh, But what we need most is cost control. Jost is kind of dismissive of that last point, but actually I feel like it's a good one and and a kind of a good spot to end. So yes, cooperatives may seem a little bit like unicorns in their ability to keep costs down, um, but they do actually exist in these two places and people are part of them. And those people tend to be happier than people who are covered by other insurance companies. So they might not be cheaper, but they tend to have fewer complaints. So maybe there's something about that idea that the members own it and that keeps them happier. Yeah, I guess so, even if none of them vote. Right. Yeah. Keith, you should have voted. (laughs) All right. Okay, I think that's it for us today. We'll be watching any and all unicorns in healthcare, housing, finance, development, and uh, many more on our blog, npr.org slash money. And and if we missed any, you can send them to us, planetmoney at npr.org. We would love to hear from you. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And I'm Caitlin Kenny. Thanks for listening.